Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we open God's Word to study and learn more about Him. In April of 2006, Brother Max Dawson, an elder and evangelist in the church in Beaumont, Texas, presented a series for us on the Holy Spirit. I'm excited about this lesson you're about to hear. It's the second in the series, The Work of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't heard the first lesson yet on who the Holy Spirit is, go to our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com and you'll be able to download that lesson there as well. But right now, open your Bibles, and let's learn about the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning once again, ladies and gentlemen. We are here today as part of this Gospel meeting to study about the Holy Spirit. That's our topic that we've chosen for the week, and we'll be presenting lessons through Wednesday evening about the Holy Spirit. We've got a lot of material to cover, and if you have your little notebook that we have prepared for everyone, you can follow along in that notebook. In fact, when you go home this afternoon or in the next day or so, if you'd like to read ahead, that's fine. The more you know in advance uh, about what we're presenting, I think, the more you will learn when we come together. But we're not going to present everything that's in this uh, little workbook that we've prepared. Uh, we said earlier that uh, we've only got four days. It would take four weeks to present all of this. And I think it's better for us to present two points and present them well than to present 20 points poorly. And so this morning we're going to be talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're focusing on. And in our last lesson that we presented during the Bible class hour, we talked about how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together. They work together in the physical creation, and they work together in the spiritual creation. And yet each have different works to do. The Holy Spirit is involved in the work of revelation, which is going to be one of our primary points we'll see this morning. In regard to the spiritual creation, the scheme of redemption, God the Father planned it, the Son executed it, and the Holy Spirit revealed it. And as we focus on the Spirit's functioning in God's plan, questions about miracles, questions about whether men have spiritual gifts today, these questions come to the forefront. Why were miracles necessary in the first century, but not now? And how does the Holy Spirit work in the lives of people today? Those are some of the questions that we'll be addressing this morning and in the four lessons that follow this morning. But for this morning, let's talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to begin by talking about the work of revelation. The idea that the Holy Spirit is the one who has given the Word of God. And I'm going to begin by referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. The Old Testament Scriptures were given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice what 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 through 21, says about the Old Testament Scriptures and the prophets who wrote those Scriptures. A lot of people believe that the prophets sat down and they sort of gave their own idea about spiritual things. And yet, that's exactly what the book of Second Peter chapter 1, that's what it says did not happen. Listen to this text. I'm reading in verse 19 of Second Peter chapter 1, where Peter says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light which shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, it's important that we make a comment right there because a lot of people say, well, this means you can't interpret the Scriptures for yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, this passage is not talking about our reading or interpreting the Scriptures. This is talking about the prophets giving the Scripture. And what he's saying is that when the prophets wrote, they did not put their own spin on things. They weren't giving you their own opinions or ideas. They weren't giving their private interpretation, their own interpretation of things. But rather this, verse 21, 
It says, for prophecy never came by the will of man. That's telling you that the prophet did not give his own will. The prophecy did not come by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that word moved there means carried along or guided by the Holy Spirit. And so what we find in this text is indeed the idea that the Old Testament Scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the same thing is true when we go to the New Testament. The New Testament Scriptures also are inspired by the Holy Spirit. You look at such passages as 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration means God breathed. God gave those men the words that He wanted them to write. But I want you to focus on Ephesians chapter 3. Go with me to Ephesians 3. You might even put a marker there. I'll put a ribbon uh, on that page in my Bible. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, the Apostle says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for your Gentiles, indeed if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me for you, how that by revelation... Here we're talking about the process by which the Holy Spirit has made known the will of God. How that by revelation He, that is the Father, we've just seen... Back in verse number 2, the grace of God, the dispensation of the grace of God, how that by revelation He, God the Father, made known to me the mystery. Something was made known to Paul. And when, when it was made known to Paul, what did Paul do with it? Paul said, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul said, when it was revealed to me, he said, I wrote it down so that when you read it, you can understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to his apostles, his holy apostles and prophets. And so, God used the apostles and prophets, guided by the Holy Spirit, to speak and to write his will. Now, if you have your workbook, you notice that there's a chart there. I've got a similar chart that I'm going to put here on the screen behind me. And I want us to pay some attention to this passage in, and this chart at the same time. Notice, notice there, we've got in the yellow, it says, How God Speaks to Men Today. Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 5. And a lot of people, when they talk about how God speaks to men, they say, well, you know, I, I was driving down the road and the Lord had a message to me. The Lord just spoke and, and I could hear the Lord's voice. And he spoke to me directly. See, some people say God speaks directly to them. Or another person says, well, God speaks to me, but I never hear it in an audible voice, but I get an impression in my mind. And so God is, God is sending me that impression, and I know that's the Lord speaking to me. And some people say, I received a dream last night. God sent me a message in a dream. A lot of people will claim something like this, that God in some way is speaking directly to them. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not what happens. When we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, the Apostle tells us how God speaks to men today. And notice the elements here. I've got six elements on this chart. I've got the Father, I've got the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Apostles and Prophets, the written Word, and then finally, here's people down here at the bottom. This is you and me. And I'm going to suggest this, that Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, has all of the elements that are found in this chart. Now, I've got a lot of other scriptures here on the chart which I told you in the beginning, we're going to give you a lot more scriptures than we're going to be covering in the lesson. But Romans chapter 11 speaks of how God the Father knows all things and that He's over all things. He is the one who reigns supreme. But He's given authority to the Son, Matthew 28:18, And the Son has sent the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and prophets 
John 16:13 to guide them into all truth. And the apostles and prophets have spoken the words of God, and those words have been written down for us, all Scripture given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And finally, when it gets down to the bottom here, we can read and we understand God's will. But let's look at this chart in the light of Ephesians 3. Let's go back and read Ephesians 3 one more time and see if, if all of these elements are not there. In Ephesians 3 and in verse 3, how that by revelation, this is the process where God has made will his known, the idea of his will known to man, the idea of revealing it, how that by revelation, he, that is God, made known unto me, here we have the Apostle Paul speaking, the Father made known these things unto me, how that by revelation he has made known to me the mystery, as I have written already. Notice Paul says, when, when these things are revealed to me, I write them down. Why, why, why do you write them down, Paul? He says, by revelation he has made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you see at this point down here, this is where we have contact. He says, when you read, you may understand my knowledge, my knowledge, says the Apostle Paul, of the mystery of Christ, here the Son has been revealed, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not, was not made known to the sons of men. Sons of men, that's us again. In, in times past, this plan was not made known, but now he says, which in ages past was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Did you see that? We found every element of this chart in this text. You see, God the Father has made it known unto Paul. Paul said when he and the other apostles and prophets received it, they wrote it down so that when we read, this is the message concerning the mystery of Christ, which was revealed by the Holy Spirit to the apostles and prophets. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how God speaks to us today. And when you, if you want to hear, if you want to hear from God today, you've got to listen to the written word. Because that's where God's message is found. You've got to hear the message of the apostles and prophets. You've got to hear what the Holy Spirit gave to those men. That is the message concerning Christ. And when you've done that, then you have heard from the Father. God does not speak to people this way. If God is speaking this way, let some man prove it. You see, the prophets of old, as well as the New Testament apostles and prophets, they were able to demonstrate clearly by miracles, signs, and wonders that God was speaking to them. But men today, all they have are claims. You know, you can claim anything. You can claim to fly like Superman. But that doesn't mean you can do it. And there's an awful lot of folks making claims today that they cannot prove. But here's what we can prove. We can prove that God speaks to us in this manner. The Father has given all authority to the Son, who sent the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and prophets. They've given us the written words so that when we read, we can understand. I want you to notice one more passage on this, though. And that's 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. The little book of 1 John toward the back of your Bible. And I want you to notice that, again, you see similar elements in that text. 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. John starts this book by saying, That which was from the beginning, he's speaking here about Jesus, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Someone says, what's the difference between seeing with your eyes and looking upon? Well, to see merely is merely the idea of seeing something. To look upon means to carefully examine and to scrutinize. And so he says, we've not only seen him, but we have carefully examined Him. That which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled, we've touched Him concerning the Word of life. The life was manifested, 
and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. What is John telling us here? John is saying that if you want to understand about Jesus, if you want to understand about the Father, if you want to have fellowship with God the Father, then this fellowship comes as a result of the written word that we have given. Notice in verse 4, he says, These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard. You see, John and the other apostles and prophets were eyewitnesses of many of these things concerning the ministry of Jesus Christ. They were there. The apostle John was with Jesus for at least three and one half years. And he saw and he heard. But not only the things which he saw and heard from Jesus, but the things which he saw and heard from the Holy Spirit. John says, these things we declare unto you, we write them unto you, that your joy may be full. And he says, when you do that, then you can have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, in order to have fellowship with God, you've got to have fellowship with the apostles and prophets. That is, you must be in accordance with their teachings. Someone says, well, I don't believe that. In fact, I think a lot of the things that the apostles and prophets wrote in here were just their own ideas. I don't think they came from God at all. Well, that's a problem that a lot of people have. They have a problem because what they're doing is rejecting the very revelation that God has given that creates fellowship between heaven and earth. When they do that, they cannot have fellowship with God. The Holy Spirit has revealed the plan of God to these apostles and prophets so that we may know clearly the will of God and so that we may do the will of God. Now, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. When we look at the great plan of God, as we mentioned earlier, God the Father is the one who planned it. The Son, Jesus, is the one who executed it. That is, He's the one who came to earth to die on the cross for our sins. And now the Holy Spirit has revealed all the elements and details of that plan. But the Holy Spirit does not speak directly to us, nor are the apostles here on earth to speak directly to us. What has happened is the Holy Spirit has given the apostles and prophets this written word so that when we read, we can understand. And that's how God speaks, and God does not speak in some other way. And people who believe that God speaks in some other way are the most confused people on the earth. They, they fail to understand so many things about the will of God. And often they say, well, the Holy Spirit spoke to me last night, or God came to me in a dream last night and gave me this message, gave me this word. And oftentimes it will contradict plain words that are found in the real revelation of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament. Now, that is the primary work of the Holy Spirit, was to give this written word so that we could understand the will of God. But there's more. I want to go to a second work of the Holy Spirit, and that is the work of confirmation, to confirm the word, to prove the word, to demonstrate that these things are so. Miracles were used by the Holy Spirit to bear witness that it was God speaking, rather than men making these things up on their own. Miracles proved that these men were sent from God. And that was true of Christ. It was also true of the apostles. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. When Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and begins to declare Christ unto those people, here's what he says as he begins the body of his sermon in Acts 2 verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested by God to you, attested means verified, confirmed that he was who he claimed to be. How did God do this? He was attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. These miracles that were performed by Jesus Christ was God's stamp of approval. They were God's stamp of approval upon Jesus that he was all that he claimed to be. Remember when Jesus came to uh, talk to Nicodemus in John, John chapter 3 and verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night, John 3 and verse 2, this man Nicodemus, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Well, Nicodemus, how do you know that? He says, because no one can do these miracles that you do unless God is with him. He understood that the miracles of Jesus confirmed the message of Jesus. And there's so many other passages on that. Let me give you just one more in John chapter 20. John 20, verses 30 and 31. And again, all of these verses are in your outline. If you don't keep up with the reading right now, look, them, look at them later in your outline. Listen to John 20, verses 30 and 31. Here the text says, Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written. That is, the, the ones I've given you, John says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What purpose did these miracles serve? These miracles, the miracles of Jesus, raising the dead, causing the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, Casting out demons, feeding the 5,000 with just a few loaves and fishes. All of these things, ladies and gentlemen, confirm that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is the Son of God. And as a result of you examining these signs that are written, you can be convinced that indeed he is the Christ, the Son of God. And because he is the Christ, you can have life in his name. Now, what was true of Jesus is also true of the apostles. The signs were given to demonstrate that they had God's message. Look at the very last verse of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16 and verse 20. Jesus had said in the preceding verses, He said, These signs will follow those who believe. They'll cast out demons. They'll heal the sick. And, and so on. He mentioned a number of signs that they would have. And then in verse 20 of Mark 16, the very last verse, it says, These men went everywhere preaching the Word, the Lord working with them, confirming the Word through the accompanying signs. The signs, the miracles, the wonders that were given to these apostles proved that their message was the truth. And there are numerous passages that demonstrate that. But ladies and gentlemen, let's make it clear why miracles were necessary. These men are being sent out by Jesus to proclaim that He is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. They go to Jews and they go to Gentiles to preach this message. Now, already... There had been, prior to the time of Jesus, hundreds, literally hundreds of men who said, I am the Christ. Men who professed to be the anointed one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. There were false Christs uh, almost every, every year or so. There'd be two or three of these guys that would be raised up and every one of them proved to be false. But now, with Jesus on the scene and the, and the apostles being sent out to preach this message, how do we know that the apostles are not preaching just one more false Christ? How do we know? Because Jesus, when he sent these men out, sent the Holy Spirit upon them to perform miracles, signs, and wonders. And Mark 16, 20 says, this confirmed the word, God's stamp of approval on these men. These men have got a message from heaven. They've not made up something on their own. These men are God's spokesmen, and the divine stamp of approval is upon their message. And so, in the first century, the miracles 
the miracles were necessary. New revelation was given. A new message for the whole world. And when they went to the Jews, the Jews believed the message. Oh, I recognize there were many who were steeped in their traditions and rejected the message. But there were thousands upon thousands of Jews who believed the message. And when they went to the Gentiles, Gentiles believed the message. Why should they believe? Because of the miracles, signs, and wonders. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Looking at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, hear what the Hebrew writer says about the miracle signs and wonders. He begins this verse by saying, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? How was the message confirmed? Verse 4, God bearing them witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. So what are we learning here? We're learning then that the Holy Spirit's work involved revelation, that is, giving the Word, giving the message to these men. They spoke it first orally, and then in process of time it was written down, but in both cases it was revealed by the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't just a matter of giving the Word. They confirmed it. They proved that indeed the Word was from heaven, that it was God's message that was being given and not something that was originate, had originated in their own hearts. Now, the miracles then bore witness to God speaking. The revelation, I am suggesting, and I can demonstrate from the Bible, revelation and confirmation, both of these things are complete. The Holy Spirit has done such a wonderful job in giving His revelation that no more revelation needs to be given. And He has done such a wonderful job in confirming the revelation that no more confirmation is needed. Because it is once confirmed, it is forever confirmed. I want you to look at the points that I'm going to make right here. I'm going to give you five points. At the bottom of page number six in your workbook, you'll see these points. They begin at the last two lines, A and B. And we're asking, is God's Word incomplete? And, and what, what I want you to do, the, the uh, question I've asked on your page there, at the bottom of page six, is God's revelation complete or is it incomplete? I want you to circle the right answer. Well, you know what the right answer is. But let's look at the Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Here's what Peter says about the nature of the New Testament revelation. It says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to glory and virtue. How much has God's power given? The gospel is God's power unto salvation. How much has God revealed? He has revealed all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so, is God's Word incomplete? No. It is complete. Not incomplete, but it is complete. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness. That means we can take this book in our hand and we can confidently say that we have all of the will of God revealed unto us. That's what Peter is claiming. That the gospel contains God's complete revelation. There's nothing, nothing incomplete about it. Got a second question. Is God's revelation unchanging or is it to be changed? Or to put it another way, we just ask, is God's Word supposed to be changed? Is there some point in time where it's going to be changed? Where we've got to get something new, something different? There's going to be a changing of God's will. Again, I'm going to answer, no, God's Word is not to be changed. In fact, the warning is given in the book of Galatians, in chapter 1 and verse 8, where it says, even if we, here this is an apostle speaking, speaking by the Spirit, he said, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And so we're not talking about changing something here. It cannot be changed. 
It is the way it is. What about the permanence? Is God's Word to be replaced? Or is God's Word permanent? Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6 gives you an answer to that. As it speaks of the nature of the Gospel itself. In 14.6 of Revelation, John says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting Gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. It's an everlasting gospel. It's permanent. It is not to be replaced by something else. And so again, we have to answer no to that question. Now look at the next question at the top of page 7. Question D, is God's revelation given only once or is it to be given again? Is God's Word to be given again? Someone says, well, it was given to those people back in the first century. That's nice, but God needs to give it again today. Look in your Bible at the little book of Jude. Just before Revelation, the book of Jude. Verse 3, Jude says, Beloved, when I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Notice that language, once for all. The language that is used there, it actually comes from a Greek word, hapax, which means what is done one time for all time, what is of perpetual validity and will never be repeated. The very same word is used in Hebrews 9.28 where it speaks of Jesus Christ having been offered once for our sins. Ladies and gentlemen, to believe that God would offer revelation again and again and again is, would be no different than to say that God is going to send Jesus to the cross again and again and again. Both were done one time for all time and will never be repeated. And so again, we answer no. Is God's Word to be given again? The Bible answer to that is no. And then we would ask this question. Is part of God's Word lost or misplaced? Do we have something missing? You know, there's a whole lot today about these lost Gospels. They've claimed to have just found the Gospel of Judas, you know. It's, uh, it's all over the place. National Geographic uh, has it and they're doing these investigations on it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Gospel of Judas is nothing new. It's been around. It was found in 1978 in Egypt, but it, it dates back to around 180 A.D. to the time of Irenaeus, who was a Christian, an elder of the church in Lyon, France, and Irenaeus said it's a work of fiction. It was a work of fiction back then. It's a work of fiction today. But they act like, oh, we've got this new gospel. Something has been lost. No, it hasn't been lost. It's something that was known about, it's been known about now for 1,800 years. We've got these Gnostic gospels, which the gospel of Judas, Judas is one of them. The Gnostic gospels. The gospel of Mary Magdalene. The gospel of Thomas. Gospel of Philip. Gospel of truth. There's about 13 of them all together. They're not lost books of the Bible. There hasn't anything been lost from God's Word. Look in your Bible. Look in your Bible at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry, it's 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 23 to the end of the chapter. 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, You have been born again. What were you born again by? What, what produced this new birth? He says, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. You were born through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. That tells you you've got an enduring revelation. It lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is the flower of grass, the grass withers, the flower falls away, the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the Word which by the Gospel was preached to you. The Word of the Lord endures forever, it lives forever, it abides forever. That's what the Word of God says. So don't talk about something being lost or something being misplaced. Oh, there, there are men, false teachers who can come along and write books 
and ascribe them to Judas or ascribe them to Mary Magdalene or whatever they want to do. But God, no, none of God's Word has been lost. The words of men may have, may have been lost, but the words of God have not been lost. And so, look at, the, look at the five questions here. Is God's Word incomplete? God's Word to be changed, to be replaced, to be given again? Is God's Word lost or misplaced? The answer every time is no. But let me tell you something. If you're claiming new revelation today, if you're claiming that God is giving special revelation to you, you've got to claim... You've got to claim that God's Word is incomplete or that something is being changed or that something has to be replaced or that something has to be given again or that part of God's Word has been lost. And the Bible says that's not going to happen. And there's no other basis for which men can claim new revelation today. I heard a man one time in, in Kokomo, Indiana, where I used to preach. A man got up and said, God spoke to me last night and He said, give these people a fresh revelation. He called it a fresh revelation. What does He mean? Does this one become stale? That's what a lot of people think about the Bible. They think it's stale, old, outmoded, outdated, and doesn't apply to people today. And so we're going to get a fresh revelation from God. I heard one other man say, this was at a Pentecostal church, a fellow got up to preach and said, I've been studying, I've been studying yesterday for tonight's lesson. But the Holy Spirit said, don't preach that. He said, I'll tell you what to say. And so he said, I'm getting up here tonight. I haven't studied anything at all. Well, that was real apparent. But the problem was he wanted to blame it on the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, when a man says he's receiving revelation today, it has to be on one of these five points. Claiming that what we have is not enough. It's incomplete. Claiming that what we have has been changed. We've got something different. Claiming that what we've got has to be replaced. That we get rid of that and put something new in its place. Claiming that God's revelation is going to be given again. Or claiming that something is lost or misplaced. And that just won't cut it. It just won't cut it. Now, if, if you answered these questions correctly, if you understood what we just saw in those five verses, then you know why no more revelation is being given today. Miraculous gifts... Miraculous spiritual gifts that produced revelation and confirmation have ceased because no need, no need exists for new revelation or new confirmation today. Let me read to you a passage over in 1 Corinthians, and we're not going to go into detail in this, but I just want to read the text from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10. Here the apostle is talking about that which abides, that which is permanent. And he speaks of that which is permanent in contrast to that which is temporary. And the thing that is temporary here are the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 8, that love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, there's your gift of prophecy, they will fail. Whether there be tongues, we'll talk tomorrow night specifically about tongues in the New Testament. It says they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, that is the miraculous gift of knowledge, revealing God's will unto man, he says it will vanish away. For, for he says we know in part and we prophesy in part. You see, in this time of spiritual gifts, they had partial knowledge, partial prophecy. Now, when you've got part of the thing, what are you looking for? When you've got part of the thing, what are you looking for? You're looking for the complete, for the whole, aren't you? You're looking for the complete or whole, or that which is perfect. And he says in verse 10, when that which is perfect, and that word perfect, tutelion, means that which is mature, that which is complete or whole, that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part would be done away. And what he's saying here is that we have revelation now. 
He was speaking to the Corinthians. He said, we have revelation. The prophecies, the tongues, the gift of knowledge. That's all revealing God's Word. And that's all fine. But you see, what it's giving us is partial. We have partial knowledge, partial prophecy. Verse 9. But he said, we're looking for a time when we don't have the partial. We're looking for a time when we have the perfect, the complete. And when that comes, then the partial would be done away. If we understand that the partial here is revelation, then we understand that the complete is also revelation. They had partial revelation in the spiritual gifts. They were looking for a time of complete or perfect revelation. I'm looking forward to being with you folks in Middle Tennessee. I know what kind of cooks you have here. I've been here before. I've eaten at your homes. And it's very possible that someone in the course of the week may serve cherry pie. And they give me a big slice of cherry pie. That'll be fine. I'll eat that. That's on my diet. But you know what? If you give me a part of that cherry pie, you told me what the whole pie was. If you give me a slice that big, I know that the complete was cherry pie. You see, when you when you establish what the part is, what the piece of it is, you've established what the whole is. If the part is cherry, the whole is cherry. If the part is revelation, then the whole or complete is revelation. And what God is saying, there would come a time when complete revelation would be given and these spiritual gifts would no longer be needed. God said spiritual gifts would cease, and they did. Now, there's a lot more we can say about that. But let me say this, ladies and gentlemen. To say that miracles have ceased does not say that the Holy Spirit is no longer active. It only means that the miracles given by the Spirit are no longer operative because the Spirit did this in such a perfect and complete way in the first century. Now, there's some people who object to this. They say, oh, you're saying that the Holy Spirit has stopped His work, that He's not doing anything today. I believe the Holy Spirit is still active today, just as I believe God the Father is still active, just as I believe Jesus the Son is still active. But I'll tell you what I don't believe about Jesus. I don't believe Jesus goes to the cross over and over again. And I don't believe he goes in the tomb over and over again and he, he's raised from the dead over and over again. I don't believe that. And I don't believe the Holy Spirit has given his revelation over and over again. You see, if someone says, well, I, I believe the Holy Spirit has to continue doing this, then you might as well say that you believe Jesus has to continue dying on the cross, going through a constant cycle of death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, the fact that Jesus is no longer on the cross does not mean He's not involved in our salvation. And even so, the Holy Spirit continues to work in converting the lost and, and, and giving power to the saved. But, and neither Christ nor the Holy Spirit are defamed when we say that they have completed a part of their work. And so what have we seen? We've seen the primary work of the Holy Spirit in giving revelation. We've seen the primary work of the Holy Spirit in confirming the message. Now, I've got three more points in this lesson. And those are ones that you're going to study on your own at home. Because the next point is conviction, to show men their need. To convict men of their sins. The world, you see, must be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. That's what Jesus said in John 16, verses 6 through 11. Truth revealed by the Spirit is the means by which the Spirit would do this. You know what? On the day of Pentecost, when the Gospel was first preached, those people were convicted of their sins. They were convicted of righteousness. And they were convicted of the judgment to come. But how did that happen? Here was a day when the Holy Spirit had been poured out in a miraculous way upon the apostles. These twelve men received the, the, the miraculous gift of tongues. There were cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of those twelve apostles. And there was a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And this great crowd gathered and the apostles preached 
and a large number of people, 3,000, were converted that day. But what was the means of conversion? Did the Holy Spirit have to come down and work miracles on their heart? Did everybody that day get miracles? No. The means of converting those people was truth. The truth revealed by the Spirit. That's the means by which the Spirit did it on Pentecost. And it's the means by which the Spirit does it even to this very day. Now you can look at the other elements that are in your workbook. And I urge you to study those things. If we spent the amount of time that would be needed to study all of these in depth and detail, we'd be here till afternoon. And we've got other things that we're going to do today. You've heard enough, though, about the Spirit's work today to know that if you believe the Word that is given in this book, that you can be saved because this is the revelation of heaven. This is where God's mind, will, and counsel are found for mankind. And if you believe what the Holy Spirit has given, you believe the signs and wonders that are recorded here that confirmed this message, then you believe what is necessary to the saving of your soul. And like those people on the day of Pentecost, they heard that Jesus was both Lord and Christ. They cried out and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promised gift of salvation. The promise is unto you and to your children, said Peter, to all them that are afar off. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You can be added to the number of the saved also. If you this morning look at your own life and say, I'm out of the will of God. I'm not saved. I haven't done what the Bible says to do. I haven't followed the teaching of the Holy Spirit. I've not submitted my life to His will. Then today is the day you should do that. Just like on Pentecost. Those people heard the words of the Holy Spirit. They believed the words of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was the Christ. They repented of their sins. They acknowledged their belief and they were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's what those people did. You can do the same thing. You know, going into a gospel meeting, I always know how many people are going to be baptized. Someone says, Max, how could you know that? I always know how many are going to be baptized. Acts 2.41 tells me how many are going to be baptized. Just as many as gladly receive the Word of God. All those who are not yet Christians, just as many as gladly receive the Word of God will be baptized. Those who gladly received His Word were baptized. You need to obey the Spirit's revelation. We're inviting you this morning. We're inviting you this morning to become a Christian, to submit yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit, to believe and obey His revelation. When you've done that, God will take away your sins. You'll be a new creature in Christ. Why don't you come now as we stand and sing? Come now, please. I hope this lesson has been beneficial to you as you continue your study in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working today, but we need to remember how the Spirit is working. And remember to go to His Word to learn about Him, to learn about the Father, and to learn about the Son. If you have any questions about the Spirit, about His work, or about God's church at Franklin, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps someone has given you this lesson on CD or on audio tape. If that's the case, I invite you to go to that website I just mentioned. Again, remember, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you can download, both in audio and outline format, and you can use them in whatever way you believe honors and glorifies God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.